Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Together today and every day at Oxford Baptist Church, get to proclaim the incomparable name of Jesus. And it's good that we are assisted in our praise by members of a praise team that I know love Jesus. From Steve to Jimmy, all the way around the line, everyone loves the Christ that we proclaim. And who could not love Jesus? Amen? Aren't you glad that not only you love Jesus, but it's even better than that. He loves you. Would you take your Bible today and please join me in Matthew chapter 5. And as we've said for the past few weeks, probably by now, Matthew chapter 5 is... Becoming a little worn in your Bible. We've been there a little while. Hopefully you're enjoying this study as we're taking the Word of God and letting the Word of God intersect with our lives as we're hearing God speak. Matthew chapter 5, where we will be looking today at verses 21 through 26. And I was reading an interesting story the other day, a story that I want to tell you about. You ever heard of the Nobel Peace Prize? Anyone ever heard of that? Well, most people have, right? How many of you know the story behind the Nobel Peace Prize? Well, let me tell you, Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist, and Alfred Nobel, believe it or not, was the inventor of something called dynamite. Alfred Nobel initially created dynamite for blasting rock so that he could help his city and the rest of the world improve upon their construction endeavors. But even though he invented this thing to help, he became known as the merchant of death. Matter of fact, in 1888, his brother was tragically killed, and a French newspaper mistakenly thought that Alfred Nobel had died. So they published Alfred Nobel's obituary. And here's what it read. The headline said, Le Marchand de la Mort et Mort, the merchant of death is dead. The obituary went on to say, Dr. Alfred Nobel who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Now, Alfred Nobel looked at this French newspaper, read the headline, and he became so disgusted by the thought of being remembered in this way that he established a prize in his name, a Nobel Peace Prize, to celebrate individuals who make an advance for peace. That's interesting, isn't it? Here, Alfred Nobel, inventor of dynamite, established the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I want to talk to us today from God's Word about an emotion that every one of us have inside of us. There's something that is dwelling in deep within inside of some of us. This emotion has a short fuse. Others of us, this emotion has a long fuse. But either way, All of us have something inside of us that's just waiting to blow like a ticking time bomb or like a stick of dynamite. Today, we are talking from God's Word about anger. Let me ask you this morning, be honest. How many of you have ever been angry before? Anybody? How many of you have ever been angry more than once? Anybody? (laughs) Anger is one of those emotions that we have just become so accustomed to that we just say that it's just second nature. We dismiss our anger and we just say that it's just second nature. But anger is not the way that things were intended to be. As a matter of fact, Jesus is serious about our anger 
And he wants us to be serious about our anger too. Let's listen to the Bible. Let's listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 5, I hope you're there. Join me in verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We pray this morning as we're looking at this difficult subject, it should be so easy for us. But Father, this is one of those times where we get to hear your voice calling us back to yourself. We get to test our attitudes, our every emotion. And Father, today as we set out on this adventure together of hearing your word proclaimed, it's an opportunity for us to take every thought captive and place it under the obedience of Christ. So help us to do that, we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, to the glory of the Father. Amen. Now, anger. Everyone in here has been angry before. Hopefully none of you are angry right now. <laughs> Hopefully you won't be angry uh, as we go through the message, but hey, that's between you and the Lord. But Everyone has been angry, and anger is one of those things, one of those ways of life that we've just become accustomed to. But could you just imagine for just a minute, could you just imagine a world without anger? Anger is a dangerous emotion. Anger is a volatile emotion. It's one that we think that we control, but more than often, anger controls us. I don't have to convince you this morning, and you already know because you heard the headline this morning or last week or yesterday, or you experienced the last election that we had, whatever the case may be. We live in a world that is flat out, outright angry. It's hard for us to imagine a world without anger, but Jesus has come to tell us that though you're accustomed to a world that's filled with anger, anger is not the way that things were intended to be, as well as it's not the way that things are going to be. Never forget this. This is why we have to not lose sight of what this verse 21 through 26 is. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has a message. He has come to proclaim a message. And the message of Jesus is the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he is telling us all about the kingdom that he's establishing. All of these things, the Beatitudes, everything that he said about the law, everything that he'll say after this, it's all telling us about the kingdom that this king is coming to establish by giving his own self for us. And so today, we get to be confronted with a little thing, with the emotion that every one of us have just declared as second nature, anger. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to hear from God this morning. As we fix and jump into the sermon, we're still in the introductory comments today. 
before we really get into it, I want us to really make sure that we have a heart that's ready to hear the Word of God. I want us to listen to the Word of the Savior and listen to Him. And He's going to tell us, do not be angry. Now remember that. Don't forget that. Remember who it is that's telling us not to be angry. This is Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? This is the God who will hang from the cross. Who took on my sin and your sin. He's hanging on a cross, beaten, bloodied, broken, not because of His own guilt, but because of your guilt and my guilt. And He's going to look down with His soldiers that hung Him to the cross, with the Pharisees that falsely accused Him. He's going to look from the cross and muster up enough energy to look at this crowd and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's that same Savior who will go and do that for us. He's going to look at us and say, Do not be angry. So four truths this morning, four truths about anger. Number one, we need to know that anger, anger, number one, reveals the rupture in our relationship with God. Anger reveals the rupture in our relationship with God. Why are we angry? Why is the world angry? Because something is wrong on a foundational level. Now, can we, without minimizing anger, can we put our finger on one reason for anger? And the answer to that is yes. What we can know about anger is the reason for anger in the world goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, if you're reading your Bible closely, you'll see that in Genesis chapter 3, something happened. Something happened in Genesis chapter 3. It was the beginning of everything spinning out of control. In Genesis chapter 3, we see a major rupture in our relationship with God. So you say, okay, why go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible? Because the Bible is not just some book for the Christian, not some book just for the Jew or anyone else. The Bible is the true story of the whole world. And so what the Bible's doing is the Bible is setting out a purpose to tell us why things are the way that they are, as well as the way that things will be made right one day. The Bible gives us not only what happened in the past to explain the present, it also gives us a future to long for. And so why do we go all the way back to the beginning? Because the Bible paints a picture. And the Bible tells a picture, a true picture, of a God who is in the center of the universe. The Bible says that this God is the one who is the center of the universe. It all depends upon Him. It all hangs on Him. He's responsible for things in the world. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And so what does that mean for us? It means then we find our purpose in relationship with Him. Every man is made in the image of God and is thereby capable of having a relationship with God. So what does this mean? If God's at the center of the universe, we find our purpose in relationship with Him. We were made to be in communion with Him. We were made to enjoy fellowship with Him. We were made to know God. And our relationship with God centers us. He's at the center. So when we then relate with Him, that then centers us. And what does that result in for us? If we are balanced, then we are at harmony and peace, not only with God, but also with one another. So what happens then when God is removed from His rightful place? What happens when God, who's the center of everything, if we unbalance things and we remove Him from His proper place? What happens? Well, chaos, disharmony, anger, hate, murder, injustice, everything else comes from us removing our affections from God. We don't honor God. And as a result of us not honoring God, we treat our fellow man as less than human. 
We now get angry with one another because deep down at our core, things are not right with God. Now think back to Genesis. What happens as a result of everything Genesis chapter 3 saying where man removed God from the center of his affections? What happens? The first thing that happens, do you remember this is so important for us to think about biblically and theologically? What happens? The first thing that happens in Genesis, the first consequence that we see from a ruptured relationship with God is a brother rising against his own brother and killing him. Cain kills Abel. Why did Cain murder Abel? Well, anger. It's hard for us, as even as we're talking about this in the very beginning, since anger has been in the very beginning, since the very beginning, it is hard for us to even imagine a world without anger. Now let me just say this, before we get started any deeper, I want to say this, that what this sermon is, is this is not a call for pacifism. Understand that. I, I believe there are some Christians who are pacifists and they can defend that position. I am not a Christian pacifist. I don't think that you have to be necessarily a Christian pacifist because of this message, don't be angry. This is not a call for pacifism. Listen carefully. This is a call for our hearts to hate anger. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Hate anger. What are you talking about? That sounds paradoxical. Hate anger. Listen, what are you saying? I'm saying that we hate hate. It sounds funny, doesn't it? But that's what God's calling us to do. Hate, hate. And then long for the day when such things as injustice, sinfulness, and anger will be no more. And that's the world that God is bringing. But until then, He tells us to not be angry. Some anger is good, right? Wouldn't you say that some anger is good? There may be some anger that is justified. After all, Jesus got angry. So if we read this and Jesus says, don't get angry, and then we see Him going into a temple and turning over things and saying, whoa, there's something wrong? What is Jesus saying? Has He got mixed emotions or something? There's a reason to be angry and a reason for not to be angry. We just read in Psalm 4 that the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So we understand that some anger is justified, other anger is non-justified. But here's the point that what I'm trying to do today. I don't want us to jump to that conclusion too quickly reason is, is because Jesus doesn't jump to that conclusion quickly. He doesn't give us this paradigm of what's right to be angry about and what's wrong. He does in His life, and we can see it in His life. But right here for His purpose, as He is coming in, preaching this Sermon on the Mount, as He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand, He just is simply saying, don't be angry. Why is that? Because He is teaching our hearts to long for a day when anger will be no more. So we don't need to jump too quickly away from what our Lord says. We need to let the words that He has said to us, we need to let the words of Christ soak into our hearts. We need to let the words of Christ fill every crevice. Let it run over you. Listen to what He says. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I wonder if that description fits anyone here today. Forget justifiable or unjust. Forget those things. I wonder if what Jesus says is a description of anyone here today. Now, I have three small children. And I can tell you already, from the top, Adelise five, to the bottom, Ezra is now eight months today, and now little Titus is three years old. I can tell you, three small children. And you know what? Every one of them already is showing signs of anger. Every one of them. They are. Part of their maturing as they grow up, it will be for them to recognize as well as control their anger. By the way, 
part of my maturing, now that I have kids, I didn't understand this before, but part of my maturing will be able to control my anger with them too. Daddy says do this, they want to do the opposite. So part of my maturing will be growing up with them too. But I wonder if part of being mature is being able to recognize and control your anger. I, I wonder how many this morning are mature. How many this morning have taken the words of Jesus that He has said today to our hearts? Now, there's a way that we can recognize our anger. It's easy. You say, how do I know if I've taken it to heart? Well, there's an easy way to recognize our anger, a way that the anger inside of us bubbles over and shows itself. Number two this morning, it's real easy. Anger is recognized in the way that we talk to one another. It's beginning as it reveals the rupture. The reason for anger is that things are not right with God. And then the way that we anger spills itself out and it's recognized just simply in the way that we talk to one another. Look at verse 22 again. Two words are used here that, that highlight the way that we speak to one another. Look at the first one here. The first one is raka. The ESV, which is the version that I'm reading, is translated to mean insult. And that word means calling somebody an empty head. An insult, saying that you're good for nothing, you're just an empty head. The other term is a term that rightly has been translated fool. And fool is a term that means godless. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the way that anger is recognized is by the way that we speak to one another. Look at what he says in verse 22. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults... By the way, how do we insult someone? Well, there's many ways, but probably the best way is with that thing in between our teeth called a tongue. The tongue. The problem with our tongue is that we speak out of the abundance of our heart. That small member in between our jaw, James says, is easy to set a whole forest ablaze. And that little thing, that little thing in our mouth can set a whole forest on fire and cut just like a knife. Now, have you ever had someone come up to you and say something to you? And they know what they said is going to hurt you. They know what they said is going to harm you. But somewhere in the back of their mind, they think it's going to help you. So they say it anyway. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say something, and then they justified what was being said by saying something like, well, at least I said it to your face and not behind your back. Have you ever had that happen to you? If anyone ever says that to you, then listen carefully. Don't respond. There's no reason for you to say anything other than thank you. God bless you. We had a lady at a church used to be at Mills Chapel Baptist Church. She was the secretary of the church. And, of course, I'm thankful for secretaries because secretaries, they form as the first line of the pastor's defense. This People would call the church and want to bless out the pastor for whatever reason. And so the, the secretary would answer the phone call and she'd get the brunt of it. And I remember going in and you'd know that someone was on the phone that was volatile because she would be saying, oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. Everything this person said, oh, bless you, bless you. And I'm sitting there scratching my head as a young teenager saying, what is her problem? What's going on? But anyway, I know. She is simply holding back her tongue even though someone else on the other end of that line is lashing it out and just letting her have it. If anyone ever says that to you or anything like it, don't say anything back. Because realistically, even though you know this as well as I do, some things don't need to be said, period. Either if it's to your face or behind your back. It just doesn't need to be said. The problem is, the Bible says in James 3.10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, and my brother, these things ought not to be so. Now, some of you today, some of us, 
We have said things about other people, either behind their back or to their face. We may have not used the word raka or, or this other word fool. We may not have used those words, but we've said just about something just as bad, if not worse, about other people. And if you smolder, listen carefully to the words of Christ, if you smolder on the inside with wrath, then that smoldering will find itself out through your mouth. And Jesus says, be careful. The fire that you have inside of you may become all that's left of you. Just like that smoldering garbage heap outside the city called Gehenna. Listen carefully. No matter the circumstance, no matter the circumstance, we do not have to talk to one another out of anger. No matter the circumstance, it doesn't matter how far we've been insulted or how far, no matter the circumstance, we don't have to respond to one another in anger. We don't. How then should we talk to one another? Well, I think that the way that we should talk to one another is with in patience, first of all. With patience. And then in caring terms. You know, it's funny. We don't do this anymore, but there used to be this heritage in Christian churches, and it still is in some churches. It's not so much in this church or most of the churches that I've been involved with, but a distinct way of referring to one another in Christian churches used to be that we used to call one another brother and sister. I know some of you have had knockdown dragouts with your brother and sister. Just put all those things aside for just a minute. My brother and I, we used to shoot BB guns at each other. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. But, you know, we never aim for the eyes. Anyway, that's a different sermon for another day. But no matter the circumstances, we used to talk to one another and we used to say brother and sister. Think about that for just a minute. We take perfect strangers. This guy could, as a matter of fact, I was over in, uh, I was over by the Dead Sea in Israel. Here I am talking to a fellow, talking to a Palestinian, the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you know the relationship that we have with Palestine as Americans, right? We don't have one. You know, I've got more in common with that man trying to sell me some kind of cream for my face who's a follower of Jesus Christ in Palestine by the Dead Sea than I have in common with some of those people that I stood in my voting precinct. I can call him brother. He could call me brother. It used to be something distinct, and it still is distinct, the way that we talk to one another. We call each other brother and sister. You know what those terms are? They are terms of endearment, terms of of care. You see where the world is trying to outdo one another through cutting each other's throats and trying to get advantage and take advantage. The Bible says in Romans 12.10 that we are supposed to be outdoing one another as well. But the way that we outdo one another is in love and honor. That's what we're to be known as. We're to be known as those who outdo one another in love. And so the world should think it's strange if they hear us speak to one another in any other way other than love. That's what they should think strange. So how then should we talk to one another if, if Jesus is saying that the way that anger reveals itself or is recognized in, in the way that we talk to one another, is there a way that you and I can talk to one another? Yes, there is. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians. And this is so good. And it's going to be up on the screen so that we can talk about it for just a minute. Listen to what it says. Right out of the gut, here's what it says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Stop. How many of you does that all go ahead and just go ahead and take it to the woodshed and you're leveled already? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Period. Let's keep going. But only such as is good for building up. And then I love this next phrase, as fits the occasion. In other words, don't go overboard, but as it fits the occasion, 
And you know those people that they try to go overboard, right? It's like, please quit talking to me. No, Paul is saying here, let no corruption talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And look at this next verse. And you've probably quoted this verse a thousand times, but I don't know if you realize what the context was, and I'm glad we get to learn it together today. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does quenching the Spirit of God have to do with the way we talk to one another? Everything. <laughs> Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, that is a lot of noise, a lot of hollering, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ in God has forgiven you. Read that last line. Read it to yourself. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We have the greatest reason on earth to be kind to one another. You know what it is? God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that He has looked upon us in our position of separation from us. And because of Christ, He has chosen to say, that one there, don't you touch Him. They're spoken for. While we were separated from Him, He came to make us His very own. He came to take us who were alienated from Him to give us His very self. Through the sending of the Son. So he says that one over there, that heart is spoken for. That heart is forgiven. And since he has forgiven us and looked on us with love, you know what that means? It means that, listen, don't miss this. Not that we should. Don't hear me say that we should. Because he has forgiven us, we can. We now have the power and the privilege to speak to one another with patient and caring. Jesus is serious about anger because He knows that anger can hinder our fellowship with one another and it hinders our relationship with God. Look at verse 23 and 24. Now let me say something about verse 23 and 24. These verses, 23 and 24, as we look at them, they may be the most problematic for some. They may be the most... I'm going to read them in just a minute. They may be the most problematic for some. But these verses that you're reading right now, hopefully you're looking at, these verses are the very reason that Christ has come. Remember this. He's the object of our affections. Jesus has not come to give us some new law. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. He's not to give us some kind of new rule to keep, but He's come to give us a new heart that's ready to obey, ready to love, a heart that is enabled by the ministry of His finished work on the cross for us. He is the object of our worship. And by giving us this Word today in verse 23 and 24, what's He doing? He is calling us back to a heart filled full of worship. Look at verse 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Ooh, stop. What? Let's read that again. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against your brother, but your brother has so that's taking it up a notch. 
Look at verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The remedy for anger is found in everything that follows. Number three this morning, anger. The way that we get rid of our anger, anger is released with worship. How many of you have an anger problem? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many of you have an anger problem? The way that you get rid of your anger is you worship. You worship. You worship. Do you want to live without anger? Do you want to live without anger? Worship. Simple. Worship. Now, what is worship? We need to be clear about what worship is. And this is so good. Worship is not just some feeling that you have as if it's just you. Worship is that time where you are confronted with the truth of God and you react to what you've learned. That moment where you're confronted is not worship. That moment where you react and respond to what you've learned, that's worship. And so God is calling us to worship. There is nothing better for you to be regularly exposing yourself to the truth of God. This is why the ministry of preaching is so important for your spiritual growth. Some guys, they like to dichotomize. They like to say, well, I'm going to preach or I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to make disciples as I'm preaching because this is the power of God's Word from behind the pulpit. We are confronted with the message of God's Word. And so this is what He does today. You need to expose yourself regularly to moments of reflecting on the awe-inspiring majesty of God. And those moments are special. Because in those moments where you expose yourself to what God says, you are laying yourself bare before God. And you are inviting Him to align your life with His purpose. And you're trusting Him to take what's crooked in you and make it straight. And that's worship. This is why the guys at the altar talking to God, and then God comes at him and confronts him with this truth. Somebody has something against you. You see, listen, when we expose ourselves to God, it's a great risk. Because there's probably going to be things in your life and my life when we do this that He's going to have to straighten out. This is why I like to keep a short list with God. (laughs) Because I know that there's a lot of times when He has to come and, and, and clean us out, it takes a long time sometimes. This is why I want to take a short list and have a short list with God. And this, no doubt, as we lay ourselves bare with God, will come at a greater risk. But you know what the greater risk is? The greater risk is desiring and harboring anything else in your heart other than God. That's the greater risk. Because one means reward. The other means loss. And at the heart of true worship is a desire for God to do for you what He deems best. Not what you deem best, but what He deems best. And hopefully what He's doing is your life as He's bringing you to Himself. What you desire will then turn into what He desires. And if that's different, then He'll correct it. If that's different, then He'll make it right. Because He desires what is best. We want Him to make known to us the path of life so that we can enjoy His presence forever. That's what life is all about. But what is it that happens when God comes to us and He puts a finger on whatever it is that's hindering our relationship with Him? What do we do? What happens if there's one thing that God comes and He sticks that finger down and He says, this is the part that in your life is hindering your relationship with me. What if, what if that happens to be something where you have an unresolved issue with another person? What do we do? 
Here's what Jesus says it's so quickly. He says, go make friends. Leave it. Go make it right. And then come back. Now, that's important. Don't miss that. He didn't say forget about worship. He said, go make it right. Then come back. He wants us to worship, but how does He want us to worship? What's He after? He's not after externally us to look good on the outside. He wants our hearts. He wants everything that we are. Everything that we are. And see, this was the problem with the religious crowds of that day. They were so concerned with matters of the exterior, they just dismissed the heart. But see, the one of the problem is, God doesn't care anything about what's on the outside. Well, I shouldn't say anything. He cares more about what's on the inside. Because God sees the inside. And see, you and I, this is so important for us. If we're not careful, we have to fight back the, the pharisaical hearts that we have. We want to be self-justifiers of God instead of letting God justify us. We think that we can earn our way. We think that we can just perform better or if we do better the next time. Or maybe we just say a little extra prayer or put another bill in the plate or uh, do and volunteer maybe our time, then that will just settle it. God says to obey is better than any sacrifice you could ever give. God is concerned not with just your external performance. He wants what is on the outside to be flowing from living waters that are on the inside of us. And if we have these living waters within us, listen carefully, we will keep a short account with God as well as with those around us. One of the marks of the Spirit-filled person, you know what it is? is they are quick to say, I'm sorry. Even if they're totally right, totally justified, they'll be quick to make amends. They'll be quick to do whatever it is to make it right. Listen to me today. True worship is the way to release your anger. When you come before God, how could you not be living at peace with all people as much as you're able? Let me put it a different way. Let me say it a different way. When you come before the God of the universe who despite your sinfulness that has led to anger being a possibility in the world, we have sinned and thereby anger is now possible in the world. So this God, who despite our sinfulness that has led to anger being a possibility, despite our sinfulness that has brought about the wrath of God against all ungodliness, despite all of these things, He has chosen to make Peace with us by the shedding of His own blood on the cross for us so that He could take enemies like you, enemies like me, and then call us family to make us joint heirs with Himself. When you come before Him and He puts His finger on an issue and He reminds you of your trespass, you will be quick to ensure that you are not hindering anyone from having fellowship with Him. Not hindering anyone from receiving the forgiveness that you already know. Because it's better, it's better for them to know God than for them to think of God and think about whatever trespass you committed against them. I wonder if there's anyone that you're hindering. If there's anyone in your life that you are hindering from enjoying a relationship with God, is there anything that you can do about it? Yes. Leave your offering and make it right. If one of you, two of you wanted to leave right now, this is the time for you to leave. Really. That's just how serious this is. Leave. Make it right. And then come back. Lay your gift down. And then return with a heart filled full of worship. You see number four this morning. 
Anger is redeemed by forgiveness. Christ has made an end to every hostility that was against us and God. And you know how He did it? From a cross, He said, Father, forgive them. As He has His arms outstretched, dying on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them. Now here's the truth. At one time, every one of us, every one of us, were the objects of God's anger. We were the objects of God's wrath. That's true. All are sinners. and Fallen short of the glory of God. But He has left His throne above. God did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that all hostility, so that all anger, so that everything that was between us and heaven could be justified, could be made right. He took the first step for forgiveness. He accomplished forgiveness for us. We were, just as this one man, it says in verse 25, it says that here's this accuser, and he's taking him to the guard, and here he's handing him over to the judge. You see, we were on the road, ready to be sentenced when the Son came and found us. He called us to Himself. And what did He do? He canceled everything that was written against us. Nailing it away with His cross. He made peace with us by taking the wrath of God on Himself. You see why He says don't be angry? Because He knows that through His blood shed on the cross, it is going to be the definitive end of all anger, all hostility. Listen, we who have been forgiven, we have the wrath of God removed from us. We are told to be angry and sin not. We are told, don't be angry. Be forgiven. Find the peace that only comes from knowing that because of the finished work of the Son, God is satisfied with you. Let that Spirit of Christ, the knowledge, the thought, your sin was great, but His grace was greater. He could have had every hostility against you and He could have named them off and sent you to an eternal existence in hell, separated from Him, but He chose instead to save you. He chose instead to give Himself for you, to bring you into fellowship with Him. He says, don't be angry. Make it right. As much as you're able, make it right. For the next time you're angry, remember that anger exists because of your ruptured relationship with God. Be patient. Speak kindly. Go quickly to worship. And the best part, remember, because of Jesus, God, is satisfied with you. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We praise You. Thank You for being satisfied with us because of Jesus. Now, Father, as we pray, as we prepare for an invitation, the invitation doesn't begin when the music starts. The invitation begins even now. Here we have been confronted with the truth of Your Word and now it's time for us to worship. Before we lay our gifts at the altar, 
Is there anyone that we need to be reconciled with? Maybe today, Lord, the person we need to be reconciled with is You. Maybe there's one or two or more in here that they know that they've never been made right with God. They've never trusted Jesus. Father, I pray that You will convict them and show them love, unimaginable, forgiveness and grace. May they right now where they are cry out to You and say, Oh God, save me. Father, for those of us who know You, may we live a life of peace with others. Because we have been forgiven by God. And help us to live a life free of unjustified anger and long for the day when anger will be no more. It's not just the way things are. Father, help us to long for the day that anger will be no more. We love You and we praise You. And we trust you to consume us, Lord God, not with anger, but to consume us with love. We pray these things trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.